Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Now, just when you thought you had heard it all about Anna Nicole and what made her tick, um, you are going to hear some some of the more uh, the, some of the truer facts. You know, we kind of uh, even though the media has given her incredible incredible coverage throughout her life, and especially after her death, her tragic death, um, really there is still so much that we uh, don't know. And um, how she got to the point that she got to and um, what her life was all about. You know, we sort of have gotten, for the most part, the caricature of her. But really, today we're going to be finding out some of the um, the roots, some of the facts that uh, really haven't been gone into in detail in the media. So we're going to be talking... Um, to starting with Henrietta Tiefenthaler, who is the co-author, along with Donna Hogan, uh, Anna Nicole's half-sister, and they just wrote a book called Trainwreck, The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith. And welcome to the show, Henrietta. Hi, thank you. Um, let's start with one of the things that I found interesting was how actually um, this um, book was commissioned uh, before, well, you know, before Anna Nicole's death was, uh, before you could possibly know, of course, on the other hand, she was, you know, heading down, spiraling downwards for quite some time, but you certainly, I'm sure, never imagined that during the time that you were putting the book together that um, she was actually going to die. So how did it come about in the first place that you decided to do the book? Um, well, we started the book, uh, the project started in about last July, and Donna had been wanting to write a book about her sister and to get the truth out there for months. Uh, Star Magazine wrote an article once about Donna and her sister and contorted her words and ended up writing that Anna tried to steal Donna's babies when Donna had wanted to completely a completely different story to get out there. So, well, wait, wait, wait. but was that, I mean that obviously wasn't true, right? No, but um, Anna always wanted a daughter, and Donna had a daughter and was pregnant with another daughter. Mm-hmm. And Donna's and Anna's father told Anna that Donna was pregnant, and so Anna, in her idyllic world, thought that well, she was well off, and Donna was struggling. Uh, financially, so she thought it would be just easier if she took Donna's children off her hands mm. and adopted them. Um, but that wasn't supposed to be what the story was about. And Donna, just being, you know, naive with the media, told them that story uh, as, you know, as background knowledge, and then that became the headline of the magazine. Mm. So, uh, so anyway, so that was one story that came out. There were others as well. And so Donna approached us uh, with the book idea, and then we chose the title Trainwreck, 
because that seemed to be the direction Anna was taking. But little did we know that, you know, that would be her ultimate ending. Yes, huh. Of course, it's particularly tragic since I know that um, Donna did try to reach out to her in the years before she died. Yeah. Um, uh, when Anna appeared at the AMA Awards, the American Music Awards, it was obvious that she wasn't sober, even though she'd just done an interview to say that she wasn't taking drugs or drinking anymore. But if you see the footage, it's undeniable that she was. And it was really disturbing as well, because she'd lost all this weight, and she arrived on stage slurring her words on national television. And uh, the media have always asked Donna for her response on all of Anna's activities, and so they wanted to know what she had to say. And for once, she actually did talk to the media and said that you know she was very concerned for Anna's well-being. And so um, uh, they published the story that of what Donna had said, and then Anna took it as a personal attack and wrote in the National Enquirer column. She called her sister "user loser" and claimed not to even know who she was and that they'd never met. And she attacked Donna, basically, because Donna had reached out to her through the media. But the thing is, is that there was no other way to reach out to Anna because Howard K. Stern was always protecting her. And she had a whole support system around her protecting her from anyone she didn't want to deal with. And she didn't want to have to deal with anyone that wanted to stop her from taking drugs. Howard K. Stern was around and he let her do what she wanted and so she was quite happy to have him around but she cut off her family who tried to stop her from harming herself now i wanted to ask you about um how since this book has just come out um and you're presumably doing you and donna are doing a lot of interviews how have you been affected or have you been affected by howard k stern's threats to sue the media and presumably people speaking in the media um, who speak out against him? Oh, we haven't been affected at all. Um, I've heard about it, but it hasn't. he hasn't targeted Donna or I or our publishing company. I think he's mainly attacked um, and, and magazines and newspapers, but we haven't been affected at all. But, I mean, it's not... Um, are you feeling uh, inhibited by um, what you're saying about the book, or, or? Well, I, mean, I haven't accused him of of murdering Anna Nicole Smith. I think that's what he's suing people for is out, you know, straightforward, blatantly accusing him of murdering Anna Nicole. Yeah. And I think you know that's why he's suing people. And I don't think that he you know, murdered her. I think that, you know, he didn't stop her from taking drugs. And that was our, that's what we said the whole time. We never said that he murdered her. We mm-hmm. just said that he was around her. He didn't stop her from abusing herself. And she liked having him around because he let her do what she wanted. I mean, if you saw that footage of um, Anna wearing that face paint, yes. it was on YouTube. And he's filming her and she's obviously on drugs. And he's not stopping her from harming herself and it's so obvious that she is so that was our main attack on him yes and and you can hear him saying in the background this is going to be worth a lot of money 
Yes. In the future. Exactly. That's what was the most disturbing thing about it all. Yes. Well, um, you know, I, it just bothers me that uh, I, I just think that we all have freedom, um, you know, freedom of speech, and that really, I mean, yes, of course, you're not supposed to be uh, purposely um, maligning someone, but on the other hand, we are all free to have our opinions <laughs> and to uh, to express them. So, it was... well, the thing is, is that if as long as people haven't said anything that's completely untrue. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll successfully be able to sue anyone. I think it's also just a threat to stop people yes. from attacking him. Yes, yes. Any further. And, you know, he dealt with the whole um, Danny Lynn thing very well. Um, I don't know if it was an act or why he, you know, he didn't make a big scene out of it, but there wasn't really anything he could do. But, you know, he lost amicably. Well, although I, I wonder about that because... Um when he finally did stop fighting for Danny Lynn, I'm wondering if perhaps you know whether, in fact, um, he has made some kind of deal uh, with Larry Burkhead whereby he's not going to stand in the way but that he remains um, somehow involved so that he will be getting a portion of the money if they get any money from right. Marshall's estate. Yes, I know that he was... He was um in Anna's will, and even before, he was head of, the, I don't know what the word is, but head of the estate. The executor, yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you. He was the executor of the estate, and I think he probably still is, because you can't really change that without a lot of litigation. But, you know, they don't have any money yet, and we'll wait and see. And even as executor of the estate, it doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be able to have any of it. Well, there was something about a certain percentage. I mean, I think the way the will was written, that he that he gets a certain percentage and i guess i guess the question I, I i guess as the real father of danny lynn and given custody of danny lynn i guess that larry burkhead could have tried to challenge him on that so perhaps they i mean i i just feel um it's just unfortunate if larry would have uh, although understandable if larry would have made some concessions like that in order to have his daughter but i guess uh, on right. the other hand his main thrust all the way from the beginning before there was even a question of of thinking that um Anna Nicole would die and he he'd be entitled to more money that way he he all along wanted to have custody of his daughter right and that was a real battle i still can't believe how long it took to find out i remember the day i was with donna in new york and we were waiting i mean we were already waiting for weeks to find out who the father was and then they kept it kept us waiting while they were in the courtroom for hours while the camera crew were just waiting outside. It was like at her funeral also in the Bahamas, and the just camera crew just waiting. There's always, there's always a drama, even in her afterlife, of, around Anna Nicole. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it is, and let's hope that that doesn't uh, continue to follow um, Danny Lynn. <laughs> You know that's going to be uh, that's going to take a lot of effort to make sure that that child is raised out of the glare of the spotlight and can try to have some kind of uh, semblance of a healthy, normal childhood. <laughs> yes. When we come back, we do need to take a break now. But when we come back, we will be talking more uh, and giving you more insights behind the headlines 
of Anna Nicole Smith, my guest, Henrietta Tiefenthaler. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america voiceamerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about uh, the truth behind the headlines, Train Wreck, The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith. That's the new book that is out. We're talking with Henrietta Tiefenthaler. She is, as you have been able to uh, hear, British, <laughs> having uh, received a B.A. in English and Drama from Queen Mary's University in London and a scholarship to the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. But more importantly, she is an editor and producer for Phoenix, Phoenix Books and Audio, which is a leading independent publisher based in Beverly Hills. 
And uh, aside from being a co-author of Trainwreck, she also just recently compiled and edited the relatively new book, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, which has 86 essays on the American criminal justice system, and it was introduced by Larry King. And I was uh, proud to be included amongst those 86 people, especially when there weren't very many women. <laughs> yes, one of the few. <laughs> yes, so it was a real honor. <laughs> We're talking about Anna Nicole Smith. We're getting the real story. Um, you know, talking about the real story, um, I don't know, um, I don't know if, how much you're aware that, um, I have been, when, when her show was on E, um, which was when? In the 19, late 90s, was it? Yes. Um, I actually was very concerned about her and about her son Daniel. And because it was so obvious that so much of the time she was, um, you know, she was having a problem with substance abuse, whether it was alcohol and or pills, either um, legal drugs, I mean, so to speak, um, prescription drugs or illegal drugs, some kind of combination of both, uh, of of all of them perhaps. And I actually had my um, publicist slash manager at the time uh, contact the show, and I recently came across some emails um, that uh, where he and I, and and I, um, I guess maybe the person that he was sending them to, you know, a correspondence um, where we tried to, he tried to contact uh, on my behalf, try to the contact the the um, producers of the show to try to get her help. And um, the story came back that uh, basically thanks but no thanks, you know, that she didn't need any help or something like that. And, of course, when she died, you know, my first thought was, um, and even before as she was spinning further out of control, I kept thinking back to that and how sad it was that um, they didn't allow her to get help. I mean, you know, I guess for one thing it made better television up to a point to have her doing more and more outrageous things. But it just has made me sad um, to know that I tried to reach out and that people really got in the way of, of um, I guess, you know, it's hard to know who, but I guess because Howard K. Stern was, in, yes, of course he was involved with her then too. He was on the show. Um, so I guess that might have been a part of it as well. But it was just sad that I couldn't really get her the help that I saw that she so sorely needed. Right. Uh, yeah, I think everyone found that a struggle because I don't. If you don't want help, you know, you, you stick to the people that won't give it to you. And I think in Anna's case, that's what she did. I think that you know she was she took drugs even early on in life. I have we have diary entries that she wrote in the book, and even in those from ninety two to ninety four, she writes about taking sleeping pills and painkillers. She had breast implants, which gave her severe backache, and so she took painkillers to stop that pain as well. Yes, and I was I was surprised when I read in the book about how um, she was first admitted to a hospital for an overdose when she was around nineteen. Yes, that was. I think that I think was she nineteen. That was I think before, it was in ninety five. Well, there was before that. Um, 
It was when it mentioned that when after she had been married to her first husband, Billy. Yes. Yes. And and um, she then I guess what was miserable. I mean that was before her breast implants. So she was just very unhappy living in Mexia and um, being married to him and sort of not seeing her life as a dead end and not being able to. Uh, to reach yeah. the fame that she wanted. Well, the whole, her whole, yeah, her whole life she hasn't had what she wanted. Uh, she married Billy Smith, Daniel's father, when he was a chef in the restaurant she worked in. Um, I mean, no one really knows why she married him. I think, you know, I think she really loved him. He was her, you know, young sweetheart at the time. But then he had completely different ideals to hers. And you know they had they had a rift, and then she thought by having a child, she, everything would be okay again. And then she had Daniel, and then divorced. I think a year later. So she was unhappy from the very beginning, and then she became a strip dancer, and she couldn't compete with everyone else because she didn't have the figure that you need to have to be a stripper. I mean, she didn't have big breasts; she was completely flat-chested. Donna always jokes that, you know, it runs in the family because Donna has no boobs either. Mm-hmm. And um, and she was very unhappy there because they wouldn't give her a night shift where it's more lucrative. They would only let her work there during the day. And I've heard stories that she would get drunk during her day shift, like in the morning she would arrive to work drunk. And there was one story where she was... Uh, on stage and she just like fell off the stage and knocked her drink onto a paying customer and then she was fired and then they rehired her again I mean her life was always turbulent and she got sent off to Mejia to live with her aunt by her mother because her mother couldn't control her she was always running away from home Um, she tried to contact her father who she knew had a criminal record and her mother had always kept her father away from her um, because he was convicted of rape, of raping her mother's sister when she was 12, her aunt Kay. And so the mother had always wanted to protect her from her father, and Anna would just run out of the house and try and contact him on the phone. And She was always getting into trouble. Yes. I mean, obviously, um, as a psychiatrist, that's what I have always been um, interested in looking at, you know, because it wasn't that one day, I mean, her life didn't start when she was on the cover of Playboy um, and all this, you know, the train wreck didn't start then. It really started back when she was in her mother's womb and apparently her mother was being abused then by her father. Yes. Her father abused everybody, almost every woman in his life. He married about, I think, six times. One time he married, he got together with a, he had a 12-year-old girlfriend called Twyla, and he married her a few years later. A 12-year-old girlfriend? Yes. Well, now, one of the things that I was looking for um, in the book was... um, Evidence of because I always thought that Anna Nicole had to have been sexually abused by her father or some man when she was young because that is her her behavior fits that profile. Now I know in the book from um, it, it's a, it's actually a little vague, but um, Donna well it's written you both wrote that. Um, that her that her father was abusive in the way that you were talking about, but 
but that Anna's mother kept her or tried to keep her away from her father. But but you also wrote that um, she did keep trying to find him and, and did find him sometimes. So how do we know that her father... Donna's father, too, they share, uh, I should have explained that at the beginning, they both share a father, that's how they're half-sisters, and Donna is four years younger than Anna. Um, how do we know, I mean, it seems likely that the times when Anna did find her father, that he sexually abused her. Well, she didn't find her father until she had become a play, Playboy model. Uh, she hired a private investigator to find him only after she'd already made money to pay the private investigator. So they didn't reunite until, you know, she was in her 20s, early 20s. But but when she, I, I, the impression that I had gotten in the book was when she would run away from home when she was young, you know, when she was really young. Even then, um, she never... She didn't find him. She would, like, look him up in phone books, but she could never find, she could never actually find him. So then who is there, does Donna think, or um, that there was some man who would have sexually abused her? I think it's very likely. I mean, psychologically, especially from your point of view, um, everyone has said that to me. I mean, not one person has said that she can't have been sexually molested. Uh, and I know that, um, you know, Virgie had, was married uh, three times, Yes. And um, she had various men, um, you know, that Anna would, lived with. But, you know, we weren't there, and I can't say that, you know, her stepfather definitely sexually harassed her. But, you know, she did always try to run away from home. She w- was quite rebellious, not in her early years. I mean, at school she was good, well-behaved, but uh, in high school, towards the end of high school, before she quit, she started rebelling, and that's when she got sent away. So maybe she got sent away because she was being sexually harassed. I mean, I, I can't say that she was. Well, there was something in the book about um, about her mother, Virgie, resenting her. Or was that, or am I getting that confused with Donna? Um, but no, but no, there was no, no, something. No, no, she did resent her. Um, because, and, and anyone that was related to Donald Hogan, because anyone that Donald Hogan, or anyone in his life, he completely destroys. Like, you look at, um, Donnie Hogan, their half-brother, and he, Donald Hogan just completely beat him up to a pulp and killed baby animals in front of him. I mean, I write in real detail exactly what his activities are in the book. But anything he touched, he destroyed. And I think the same goes with all the women in his life. And, you know, it probably devastated Virgie that she'd married him and had a child with him. And I think she resented Anna, you know, for her father's behavior. You know, Donald Hogan also... um, raped her sister and two other underage girls and he was convicted for it yes well, well, why don't we um, why don't we come back to that when we can take after the break we're talking today about um, the book train wreck the life and death of Anna Nicole Smith trying to find some additional answers that um, were not clear behind in the headlines we're going behind the headlines with my guest, Henrietta Tiefenthaler. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
the Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Muscular Development presents Noble Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. Noble Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Anna Nicole. I know that the um, <laughs> the title of the show today was Anna Nicole's Sister Reveals the True Story, and you're wondering <laughs> where her sister is. However, we're having a wonderful in- interview with her, her sister, Donna Hogan's co-author, Henrietta Tiefenthaler, who actually um, wrote the book with her and uh, did even independent research on this. And we're sort of um, we're sort of in a holding pattern, waiting mystery pattern, waiting um, uh, to see where trying to locate Anna Nicole's sister, who perhaps was unwell and went to the doctor. So if she um, does manage manage to surface, we will certainly uh, have her add to the program. Uh, we'll have her. Um, connected to the show as well. But in the meantime, let's go back to what we were talking about because the um, this this idea of abuse, you know, um, when 
is fascinating because it seems like um, of all the things that she, that Anna Nicole was missing and craved in her life besides stardom, which of course is one of the reasons you know, everyone, I'm sure they ask you why, I mean, I'm sure you're happy about this, but it's, it's people wonder why on earth is the whole world so fascinated and literally the whole world, um, it's not just an American phenomenon, why is everybody so fascinated with the story of Anna Nicole and um, one of the reasons I think is her rags to riches, although I understand that it wasn't quite as many rags <laughs> as she would have had us believe, but still, she had this dream of becoming famous, uh, becoming like her idol, Marilyn Monroe, and even though she came from, let's say, humble, very humble beginnings, where certainly that was not what was expected, um, you know, that was certainly the exception. People in her, where she lived, um, really didn't didn't wind up becoming world famous stars and having the kind of glamorous life that she did. Um, so I think part of why people are so fascinated by her is because it's sort of a, a story that everyone to some or, or most people um, can somewhat identify with. It's a fantasy of going from whatever your beginnings were to becoming someone who is uh, who has the world's attention. And um, but what one of the things that where she seemed I mean she got that but one of the places where she seemed the least satisfied even as she was getting the attention and getting money and all of that you know fame and fortune years earlier years before her death she still was unhappy and it really seemed clear that what was making her the most unhappy was not feeling as though she had the love the unconditional love of um, someone who she loved in return. And that comes from um, not having that originally from your father and the extent to which she was willing to go, um, including being promiscuous and all of that. I mean, starting at a strip club and going from there and, and being bisexual and being, um, you know, just her life really being a very uh, uh, sexually... <laughs> Actually, it is. You know, sex was a big part of her life in all different aspects, and that um, when someone is molested as a child, they go either one of two ways: either they do become promiscuous because they're trying to um, sort of it's an unconscious way of trying to pretend to themselves that the that the abuse, the sexual abuse, wasn't so bad. That sex is you know, nothing. It doesn't have to mean anything. Um, and then other people who are molested, little girls, grow up to be totally frigid. You know, they, they often will put on weight um, and, and get mousy and do things to uh, prevent men from um, approaching them and wanting to have sex with them. And Anna, Anna Nicole certainly had a lot of ambivalence. I mean, the diary entries that you have in the book, for example, uh, some of them talk about how she doesn't like sex, and yet, of course, she had a lot of it. Right. Um, and I've, there are some diary entries that we didn't include in the book, which I read, uh, which were even more disturbing than the ones we have. I mean, Anna really went out there. Um, I had another story. Um, you know, Paul Marciano, head of Guess, uh, signed Anna and, in fact, had a role in changing her name to Anna Nicole from Vicky Lynn Hogan. And 
he had a reputation for taking um, his models on weekends away and um, sleeping with them, or that was part of the package. And this guest model told me that uh, when she went on a weekend with Paul Marciano and the whole crew, um, the guys were all coming on to her, and she, you know, she rejected them. And then they were talking about Anna Nicole Smith, and they were, were telling her how Anna Nicole Smith went on this weekend with them, and they were all flirting with her and trying to come on to her, and Anna was just up for it. And for the first time in their lives, they were actually almost put off by how mm-hmm. forward and ready Anna was, you know, to have sex with them. And I think that, you know, she was almost like a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was talking to Jean Simmons from KISS, who has a wonderful reputation with women, <laughs> uh, which is uh, also... Um, and he was telling me how, you know, he respected Anna Nicole because for once she was a woman who was quite free to let go and not care what anyone thought of her. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't believe this, but he said that one of the main reasons women don't sleep around as much as men is because of the guilt they feel afterwards and they don't want to feel, they don't want to be judged, whereas Anna just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And um, And so he said that, you know, she was like a man in that respect, and he admired her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reasoning behind that is, yeah, unclear. I mean, it must have come from something in her childhood. And um, it, it does make it, you know, this whole question of uh, did she love uh, Howard Marshall, the rich uh, millionaire or billionaire, right? Yes. Um, and and I mean, what is, what is your take on that? I, I kind of think that she did in her way. I mean, not a romantic um, puppy love kind of thing, but he filled this father figure void that she had. Definitely. I mean, Donna and I both say this all the time that she did love him. I mean, it wasn't a husband love, like husband wife love. And it, I don't think it was sexual. I don't even know if he could have sex. But uh, she definitely loved him for the security he gave her. He, she needed that because she needed the financial security she didn't have. And he provided her with the singing lessons and all the material of material possessions she couldn't buy herself. He gave her, and even if she didn't need it, you know, she was just she loved being spoiled and feeling glamorous and worshipped. And he definitely worshipped her. And he gave her the glamorous lifestyle she she craved and thrived on. Like she needed that. Yeah, you know, it's ironic how when she was working as a stripper and she kept trying to get the, the more lucrative evening shift, um, if she had actually gotten that, she would have never met Howard K. Marshall because it was, you know, since he was an older gentleman, he came during the daytime. Uh Yes, well, actually, J. Howard Marshall came into the strip club during the day, but at that point, she was working night shift, but she was also working day shift. I see. Because she'd had the boob job, and even though initially they didn't give her um, the night shift, she she did work, you know, nonstop until they did. Um, but that was. But she met J. Howard Marshall during the day. You're right. 
So she was working the two the two shifts at that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's but you know if she had, I guess I should have put it if she had gotten what she wanted sooner. I mean, we all it's just ironic because you know how we all think there are certain things that we want and we get impatient if we don't get it. And why isn't the universe giving it to us now? And then you know, and then it turns out that there's a, a bigger reason that we <laughs> that we don't know about. Yes, a very hidden one. Um, but you know. Uh, Right on that track, I think that um, J. Howard Marshall provided her with the fame that she needed because I think that, you know, it's very well that she was a guest model and a Playboy model, and she did very well doing both, and she would have been famous anyway. But I think what really made her famous was marrying someone so old when she was so young and beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, have you thought about whether, in fact, uh, some of the things that you wrote in the book and the and the diary pages and all that, that you might be um, inadvertently or maybe on purpose <laughs> helpful to um, getting for her estate for Danny Lynn uh, those millions, winning the the case against um, his and it's yes, as you pointed out, Jay Howard Marshall. I think I was saying it wrong um, against his family. Um. Possibly. Uh, my intention, because I went through all the court cases and uh, read through a lot of the research and you know how thorough court cases are. Everything comes out. Mm-hmm. And they are they don't hold back. And my main incentive was to get the truth out to the public in easy terms because the, the litigious uh, wording is really hard to understand. For the public that don't know about it. So anyway, I wanted to, I wanted the public to know what went on in the court proceedings and quite how much Epis um, Marshall, J. Howard Marshall's son, you know, what he did to stop her from marrying his her, his father, and how much he really hated her. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, he died as well, which is just it's amazing how many people in the saga have died. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard um, expression that it's cursed money everyone who wants it dies and it's sad but somehow uncannily true like uh, Jay Had Marshall died then his son died of a mysterious infection and then um, Daniel died which was I think the most tragic of all and then Anna it's just crazy and now Danny Lynn you know is a baby and she's the heir to potentially get all this money but you know you never know if she'll actually get it Yes, well, I wonder if, um, well, certainly we hope that nothing happens to her. She's too young to realize that she wants the money at this point, and hopefully hopefully that won't be as important to her when she's old enough to realize. But um, perhaps we need to look at Howard K. Stern as to what's happening to him. Not that I'm calling him a murderer or anything. (laughs) We do need to take another break. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Henrietta Tiefenthaler, and she is the co-author of the new book, Trainwreck, The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith. So stay tuned. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson. 
Ecopreneur, author, and green living maven brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic eco travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Living the Green Life with Kim Carlson. Broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Voice America channel. Living the Green Life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact on our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation, with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host, Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints that inspire people to reach for their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcasts each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Changing a Generation. Bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Muscular Development presents No Bull Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. No Bull Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Henrietta Tiefenthaler, who is the co-author of Trainwreck, The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith. And uh, we've been <laughs> behind the scenes trying to uh, locate Donna Hogan, who was also supposed to be on. And um, Henrietta, why don't you bring us all up to date? 
Uh, well, we went on the book tour uh, to New York, which was almost a 24-hour job for a week. And she, when she went back to Texas, she was ill and she had to cancel her entire radio tour last week because she couldn't speak because she lost her voice and so I'm assuming that she's gone to the doctor today at the last minute notice but I know that she would love to come back on the show possibly next Tuesday um, to talk about the book and Anna if you would have her on of course (laughs) yes well we'll certainly uh, follow up and talk about that after the show one of the things I wanted to talk about today um, is is Anna Nicole's death? I don't know if you know, but I've, I've well, I've I've done over the years various interviews about Anna Nicole, and particularly um, after her death, when people were wanting to know about the different medications that um, that she, the prescription. Well, first when there was the prescription found, um, the you know from the different doctors, the two doctors, particularly Dr. Chris Arosevich, um, who had written this laundry list of medications um, that she sent to um, Dr. Kapoor to try to get filled while she was with Anna in the Bahamas. Um, And I must, so I did research on that, and I must say um, (laughs) it was really rather shocking and uh, very disturbing that a psychiatrist, or any doctor for that matter, but, you know, (laughs) it did not help the... uh, Help the reputation of psychiatrists that that uh, Dr. Arosevich was a psychiatrist, um, but you know any doctor uh, should not have prescribed those medications. There were way too many drugs in way too high a dose, and um, when you have these medications around someone who is a known substance abuser, I mean you are just at the very least asking for trouble. I know. Um, I I actually had a story before the coroner's report came out from um, a journalist who said that one of the psychiatrists was in love with Anna, female psychiatrist, I think, uh, and was just giving her whatever she wanted. Well, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard. You mean that Dr. Ar- well, she's the only female psychiatrist that I know of that had anything to do with Anna. Was that the idea, that she was in love with her? I wasn't told any names, so I don't know uh-huh. if it was her. But I do know that that's what that's what the journalist told me, was that you know she could get whatever she wanted because the, the doctor or psychiatrist psychiatrist would just prescribe it well for. unless unless he was talking about um the psych the uh he wasn't a psychiatrist the the doctor in los angeles but but you know it's um certainly i mean my if she, whether we're talking about dr arasevich or not in terms of who was in love with her certainly she was in love with uh the glamour you know sharing the glamour of anna nicole's life i mean it's really sad that Howard K. Stern, you know, <laughs> I always described Howard K. Stern as um, he looked like a high school guy who couldn't believe that the prom queen was spend- giving him the time of day. He right. always had that expression on his face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is she doing with me? I can't believe she's here with me. And I think that um, he- that was part of why he kept her dependent upon him by his being the provider or the facilitator of her getting the drugs that she wanted. Definitely. Um, I think uh, there's been a lot of speculation about that. And I think, 
you know, yeah, that's the reason he let her take drugs, even when she was pregnant. I think that's the worst. I think that's the most shocking yeah. thing, is that doing that footage that we were talking about earlier where she had the paint on her face, she was pregnant. And he was just saying, talking about the money and that they could make from seeing her on, like, acid or something. I mean, what what could she have been on? She was, like, hallucinating. Yes. And she was, like, she couldn't even see the camera properly. She must have been on some serious drugs. And that he could just let her take them and film her taking them is the most shocking thing I've ever yes. seen. Yes, yes. And and to for them both to have then left her when she had had the 105-degree fever, when she apparently had access. I mean, the thing is, when you, and, and it really bothered and bothers me still that um, uh, Dr. Perper, was it, um, could, could make that announcement, the press uh, conference, and just announce that it was an accidental overdose. I mean, yes, if you get someone, in a, in a, particularly a substance abuser, in a stupor by, with medications that you have given them or allowed them access to, and then they, you know, take a little more, I mean, you have to feel there has to be some responsibility for that. I don't know what the current status is in regard to Dr. Arosevich's medical license, but between that and her then going on uh, Entertainment Tonight and talking about her deceased friend, you know, you're not supposed to be a doctor to somebody if you are also their friend, particularly not in an ongoing manner and, and prescribing all these kinds of medications. Not that you should be prescribing that for anybody, really. But, um, but And then talking about her deceased friend patient, which is also something that you are not supposed to be doing. The woman who talked about the therapist who talked about um, uh, Nicole Simpson uh, got into trouble with her license after Nicole died and uh, she had a press conference talking about you know whatever uh, her what she knew about Nicole um, because, you know and then she tried to characterize it as helping trying to help get have them uh, arrest OJ or whatever, but you know that you're you're still not allowed to do that. There's patient confidentiality, and even if the person is dead, unless you have some kind of signed uh, uh, statement from them allowing you to to do so, you are not supposed to talk about it. I know. I, I think that the whole the whole autopsy report is seriously suspicious. I mean, yeah. I have it I have it in front of me right now, and the, the fact that she had an infection, like, infectious disease, <laughs> and they still let her take drugs just to block out the pain and to stop her from feeling anything. She probably didn't even know she had an infection. Yes, yes, and and um, and just to leave her rather than call 911 or call the hotel doctor to come to the room even though she didn't want to go to the doctor, I mean, you know, it's, and just to say she controlled everything, how can she com- control her life when when she's drugged up all the time? It's very sad and very frustrating. Well, I want to thank you very much, Henrietta Tiefenthaler, the co-author of uh, Trainwreck, The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith, and the... Um, editor and producer for Phoenix Books and Audio. Thank you very much for joining me today on Dr. Carol's Couch, and I wish you well with your book tour, and I wish give Donna uh, my regards, and I hope that she's taking better care of herself. 
Thank you very much. I'll pass that along, and I hope she can come back on when she's feeling better. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.